54 and 45 tonight, continuing our study here through the book of Jeremiah. And once we get through these next two chapters here, 44 and 45, we're going to pick up the pace here a lot, because really 46, 47, 48, 49, and even into 50 deal with a lot of prophecy and judgment. And we're going to go through that fairly quickly here, um, and then we'll finish up our study in Jeremiah here in actually not too long. So with that being said, let's do the smart thing, have a word of prayer, and we'll get started then. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now, as always, we pray that you would teach and we would listen through your Spirit, guide and direct all things. And once again, Lord, um, we just think of just the outreaches going on, we think of the missions trip, we think of church camp, just your hand to be upon each one of those groups, Lord. And we say thank you for the time to be here in your name. Amen. All right, Jeremiah 44. Now, if you weren't with us last week, we kind of covered here a lot, and what happened was last week was that Babylon eventually defeated Jerusalem like we knew that was going to happen. Jeremiah had prophesied that. And there was this small time of peace, if you will. Israel was defeated. They put a man by Gedaliah in charge as a governor, and Babylon had won. Well, what happened then is that the group from Israel wanted to leave. They wanted to go down to Egypt. Gedaliah was killed, and they were afraid that Babylon was going to come back. And when Babylon came back, that they were going to cause more destruction. So basically, the people in Israel said, let's flee down to Egypt, and Egypt will keep us safe. Now, God obviously stepped in and said, you're fleeing to Egypt to keep you safe. Egypt can't keep you safe. Egypt represents the world. The world can't keep you safe. He goes, I am your God. I will keep you safe in Israel. Stay here and be obedient. Israel was not obedient. They fled to Egypt, and since they fled to Egypt... Therefore, discipline filled with them. One of the little sayings that we say out here all the time is, change of location does not mean change of heart. Generally speaking, if you change your location physically, the same problems you had in that area will probably follow you wherever you go. That's just a tendency that happens. When we go down to Egypt and we're going to hide there in Egypt and we'll be safe in Egypt from Babylon, God says no. He says, I love you enough to discipline you, so, so therefore that discipline will follow you down into Egypt. You can't run from God. So what happens here now is in chapter 44, God gives Israel an option. And the option is pretty simple. You guys can repent and head back up to Israel, be safe, and I'll take care of you. Or you can think you're safe and stay down in Egypt, but just know that discipline will follow you. He gives them a choice. And as he gives them this choice, I just thought of this passage. If you look at your sheets here, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Way back from the beginning, even in Deuteronomy, God says, I'm always giving you two options, life or death. And you have to choose between those two options, the good or the bad. Now, there's consequences to each one of those choices. It's the same thing that happens for all of eternity. We get to choose between heaven or hell. Now, I've shared with you before, just a couple Sundays ago, I was talking one time to an atheist that says, what a horrible choice. You're basically saying that I have to choose heaven, live with God forever, or I have to choose eternal punishment in hell. He goes, there really isn't a choice. How is that a choice? Punishment or blessing? And so what we talked about is everything you do in life is almost always, I should say, two choices. And we use these examples. When you leave church here tonight, you have a choice. You can either drive the speed limit or you can drive over the speed limit. If you choose to drive over the speed limit and you get pulled over, you chose to break the law. You chose to take the punishment. If you go into Walmart tonight and buy something, you have that item in your hand. You have two choices. I can either purchase that item or I can stick it under my coat and leave. That's a choice. There's a consequence to each one of those actions. One consequence is you get pulled over. One consequence is you're arrested. 
arrested. It's still a choice. Same thing that happens here for heaven and hell. There are two choices. And we have to choose for eternity what we choose to do. Same thing here. Deuteronomy was blessing or cursing. Well, here in our study in Jeremiah, it's either obey God and go back to Israel or stay in Egypt and be punished. If you choose to stay in Egypt to be punished, look at verse 30. Of Jeremiah 44, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh, Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies, and into the hand of those who seek his life. As I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. What God is basically saying there is this. He goes, I control this whole system. I brought Babylon in as a discipline to Israel. I will bring Babylon into Egypt as a discipline to Israel. The choice is you can choose to be disciplined in Egypt or you can choose to go back in Israel. That's the choice. Now, Israel has to choose between these two choices. And God lays out this wonderful plan of truth. Just follow the logic of this. Verse 2 of Isaiah of Jeremiah 44. God comes out and says, listen, you've seen the destruction in Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. You have seen all the calamity that I brought upon Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day there are desolation and no one dwells in them. You've seen the destruction. Verse 3. You know it was a righteous judgment because of their wickedness which they have committed and provoked me to anger. You know it was a righteous judgment. Verse 4. You were warned. However, I sent to you all my servants, the prophets rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. But verse 5, you chose not to listen. Verse 6, you knew judgment came. Look how logical that is. You saw the destruction. You know it was righteous. You were warned. You chose not to listen. Judgment came. And now jump ahead to verse 12. You think you can escape this. I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there. And they shall be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. They shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by famine. And they shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. God says you're not going to get away. Now real quick, before you start thinking this is just mean, angry God that lives upstairs and he's really just ticked at him. We've studied this through 44 chapters in Jerusalem, excuse me, in Jeremiah. This idea that God has said for decades through Jeremiah's ministry, repent, change, I love you, I don't want to discipline you. Israel just kept rejecting again and again and again. So since they chose to reject again and again, discipline came for you that have children at home. If your child just keeps disobeying, 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 you're forced to discipline. That's the only thing you can do is to try to set them on the right path. The same thing here spiritually. God loves Israel enough to discipline them. They fled to Egypt thinking, we'll finally be safe in Egypt. God says, I will follow you into Egypt to discipline you because I care for you and I love you so much. And he lays out this beautiful argument in verses 2 through 12, saying, you've seen what I've done. I told you what I'm going to do. Verse 12, I will still do it in Egypt. I remember of our five boys, we had one of them, I believe it was Layden, went through this phase that any time he thought he was going to get disciplined, he would go run under the bed. He would just go run under the bed. And I can remember Dawn being pregnant, like nine months pregnant, being completely, utterly frustrated because she couldn't even tie her shoes, and she was trying to drag this kid out from underneath the bed. Now, it had been really easy just to say, we're not going to do the discipline. Let's just let it go. Eventually, he'll crawl out, and we'll take it from there. You can't. You have to set that order. You have to set that discipline. And the same thing spiritually. Can't God just let it go? Just let him go down to Egypt. 
No, God is righteous and true, and that's part of what we love about him, is righteous and true. He says, I will follow you to Egypt to discipline you. Once again, this is not the angry God chasing them to Egypt. This is the loving father trying to set his child on the right course. I can't make you see it that way. If you see this as mean, angry God just wanting to cause havoc on Israel and he'll chase them all over the world, then you're missing who God is. This is a loving father going after his lost child that ran down to Egypt to run away. And God says, I care enough about you to come down and get you. I know it doesn't look like it, but this is actually love. He cares enough to do this. So that's God's truth. Now we'll get to their truth here in a little bit. But anybody have any quick questions, comments here about the first part? And like I said, it's a little bit of review. Israel going down to Egypt to get away from judgment and discipline. God saying, I care enough to come down there and get you. And yes, surely. Right. And I see what you're saying there about confidence and love. And I think there's sometimes there is that element of confidence and love. I look at the prodigal son in Luke 16. I think that is an example of confidence and love. The prodigal knew he could go back. And so there was that love of him going back. I look at Peter when Peter denied Jesus three times. There was a confidence in knowing that he could go back to Jesus. I agree. I will say I disagree with that on this tonight because we're going to see her in a little bit. Instead of using confidence, I would almost say they're arrogant tonight. Because they... They know, they just come right out and say in a few verses that they just disagree with God. But I do agree with what you're saying. There are times where I'm confident in God's love, prodigal, Peter, etc. Tonight, this is more of just a little bit of arrogance where they say, we just don't care. And that's why God has to do this, is because this is becoming just this rebellious, rebellious child. And they also have anything here they want to say before we move on. Yeah, Jody. No, no, we're, uh, we're thousands, we're... Way past that. Yeah. yeah. Way past that. But this would all still be in their history. They would know those type of things. But yeah, nobody from the Red Sea time would still be alive at this point. Anybody else got anything before we move on? Okay. So we talked about God's truths. Pretty straightforward. What's their truth? Verse uh, 15. Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods, with all the women who stood by, a great multitude, and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt and Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done. We and our fathers, our kings, and our princes in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food. We were well off and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. The women also said, And when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without her husband's permission? This is their response. Their response basically is, hey, you you told us to to quit following false gods and just listen to you, but you know what? When we follow false gods, things go better for us. 
So things are going better. And when we quit following these false gods, things actually got worse for us. So why would we listen to you? We have finally found comfort and safety and peace in Egypt. So much so, as we say right here in verse 16, we're not even going to listen to you anymore, Jeremiah. Now, before you think that that stuff doesn't happen today, it happens. It just doesn't happen to the queen of heaven and false worship. It happens with lifestyle choices. I don't know how many times I've had someone come up to me and I found out choices they're making in their life and you come up to me and say, listen, I love you enough to care enough about you to tell you that relationship is wrong and it's going to hurt you. And they say, wrong? This is the happiest I've ever been. I've never had so much joy and happiness in my life. And I, I know the relationship I'm with right now is not good. I know it's not what God wants, but I'm finally happy and this is great. And I was so miserable when I was doing it the other way, but now it's just so happy. It's a false blessing. It's a temporary false blessing. And, I, and you can fill in the blank with anything, be it relationships that are not biblical, be it watching stuff that you shouldn't be watching, be it partaking and drinking of things you shouldn't be partaking in. I don't care what it is. There's a temporary false blessing of I feel good, I am happy, and this is exactly what I've always wanted. I had somebody tell me one time that I've spent years focusing on everybody else and I'm finally focusing on me and I feel good. A temporary false blessing. At this time, them doing their little offerings to the queen of heaven and doing all their little false worship, yeah, they were in this little happy state. It's the honeymoon stage of false religion. It wasn't going to last. It wasn't going to last in any way whatsoever. And they're just downright disobedient. Verse 16, we will not listen to you. And the men come out and say, hey, we're not going to listen to you. The women come out and say in verse 19, we're not going to listen to you. We're not going to listen to our husbands. So even if you get our husbands to tell us not to do it, we don't care. We're just not going to do it. And it's this temporary false blessing. And I hate to say this. We've probably all been in that spot before. I, I've been in that spot before where as I'm doing something, I know I shouldn't be doing it, but it sure feels good, so you still do it. As you're saying stuff, and as you hear those words coming out of your mouth, you're saying, I really shouldn't be saying this. But boy, it feels good to say this. It's a temporary false blessing. I've seen it, like I said, in relationships. I've seen it in other things. This temporary false blessing of, boy, this feels good. Jeremiah tried to warn him, and that's exactly what he tries to do. Verse 20, Jeremiah spoke to all the people, the men, the women, all the people had given him that answer saying, The incense that you burn in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your princes and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them and did not he come to his mind? So the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you have committed. So basically God says, I've had enough. It's time for the discipline to start. See, God is so amazingly patient. He, I mean, He really honestly is. See, the thing is, we always want swift justice for people we don't like. How can my ex get away with that? I wish God would just get him right now. How can my boss get away with that? How can they get away with that? And just right now, judgment. But when it's me, oh Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy and patience. I love you so much. Amen. See, right here, what Jeremiah is saying, verse 22, guys, God's had enough. That, that's what he's saying. The Lord can no longer bear this. Listen, he put up with you in Jerusalem. He put up with you moving down to Egypt. He's put up with this for a while. It, it, it's time to stop. And what is their response? 
we will not listen. Now, what do you do? Now, I hope nobody here tonight is in that position. I'm just going to make an assumption, because the people that come on Wednesdays love Jesus more than the people that come on Sundays, that I'm assuming that no one's in that position tonight. Now, but I bet you know somebody who is. I I can think of people right now that are just playing out spiritual disobedience. They just don't care. They don't care that the lifestyle they're living does not line up with the Word. They do not care that the lifestyle they're living is creating danger. They're just happy. They've never been so happy in their life. False, temporary blessing. It will come back to bite them. What do you do? Well, you can try to preach to them. You can try to do what Jeremiah did, try to speak truth to them. But you know what else? Jeremiah eventually just lets it go. I hate to say this, eventually that person's going to have to learn the hard way. That that temporary false blessing is no blessing in any way whatsoever. And some of you here tonight, if we were all open and we all shared testimonies, we probably all could share a testimony of a time in our spiritual lives where we knew in our heart what we were doing was not in line with God's will, but it brought such a temporary joy, if you would, happiness, that we still continued to do it And then we fell flat on our face. Aren't we thankful that God picked us up? Aren't we thankful for God's patience and love? Look at your sheets here. I put down 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering, but is patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have you not ever had that spiritual frustration where you look at your neighbor and you look at yourself and you say, I am trying to do what's right. I am trying to live a godly Christian life in an immoral world, and I am just running into problem after problem after problem. I look at my neighbor, who is not in any way whatsoever trying to live a godly Christian life, and they are just blessed, 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 blessed. Well, God is actually just being very patient with them. That's really what it comes down to. God, in His infinite patience, is giving them more time and more opportunity to repent. Sometimes I look at this world and I say, Lord, why does the saint die at 30, but the sinner lives to 90? Because God gave that sinner 60 more years to try to come to know Christ. And I sometimes look at these people and I'm thinking, Lord, you took that wonderful godly man or woman home so early, but yet you left that guy, that guy on this planet for that many decades. Because God is patient. God is loving You probably have family members, you probably have co-workers that you kind of wish the Lord would do a little lightning judgment right now. God is patient with them. And aren't you thankful that God is patient? Because He's not only patient with them, He's patient with you. Jeremiah says in verse 22, Enough is enough. Judgment is coming, and as the judgment comes, verse 30 is what we started out with. Basically, listen, I took... Punished you in Israel, you fled to Egypt, I'll punish you in Egypt. If you want to go hide under the bed in life, go hide under the bed. God will get down on his hands and knees and pull you out from underneath that bed. Because he loves you. And he wants what's best for you. And he understands that sometimes discipline is what you need to get your attention, to get you on the right path. Israel is an example of that. Don't allow some temporary false happiness to dictate your spiritual life. I finally feel good. This is what I've always wanted. I've never been happier. Is it based in the biblical commandments of the Bible? If it's not, that is a temporary false happiness that will not lead you to any fruit. 
Now, we're going to do chapter 45 here, and as you can see, it's only five verses, so it's only going to take a couple seconds. But if any of you have any quick questions, comments here about anything that we covered here in chapter 44, this falseness, this false spiritualness, and this false blessing that Israel had where they thought that they were okay. All right, chapter 45. We're reintroduced to Baroque. Now, if you remember Baruch, we found him in Jeremiah 32, and we found him in Jeremiah 36. Anytime he's mentioned in the Bible, he's always being obedient. In Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah is stuck in prison. God ordered Jeremiah to go buy a field. Jeremiah couldn't, so Baruch came and took care of it for him. In Jeremiah 36, Jeremiah was asked to go write this scroll and take this scroll and then give it to the king. Well, Jeremiah couldn't do it, so Baruch was obedient to write the scroll and do it for him. Anytime we see this guy, he's just being obedient. Well, what you see here in verses really 24 through 30 is all this punishment and just discipline that's going to come on Israel. Look at verse 27 of Jeremiah 44. Behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end to them. That's a pretty tough verse. Aren't you glad that God remembers the faithfulness of Baruch? This is a beautiful picture, I hope, of us. Of God remembering our service God remembering our devotion to Him. And I want to make this abundantly clear. Not that our service, good works, or devotion bring us salvation. No. But but since we have been saved in Christ, that Lord, we say, look at us. We are trying to be faithful to serve you. So this guy Baruch right here, verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel to you, O Baruch, you said, Woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my suffering. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. Basically, Baruch said in verse uh, 3, I'm going to die with everybody else. This isn't fair. You know, they're the ones being bad. And so since I'm a Jew along with them, I'm going to die with them. Verse 4, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, behold, what I have built, I will break down. And what I planted, I will pluck. And that is this whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Verse 5, do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord. But I will give your life to you as a prize in all places wherever you go. Baruch was honored with his life and God's safety to be upon him, even though the world was completely, utterly falling apart. Why? Because he was obedient. He was obedient. And and there's this great truth. A couple years ago in VBS, we took the verse out of Isaiah. My mind is blanking right now on what verse it was. But it basically summed up to obedience brings blessing. Being obedient to the Lord. And, And I tell you, if you look at your life right now, and to be honest, you don't feel very blessed... How's the obedience? Now, before you think blessing equates money, no. Baruch here wasn't given money. He was giving the blessing of God's protection. As we've sometimes said out here, Pastor Rich says it all the time, blessing sometimes is just peace in the home. Sometimes you are not materialistically blessed, but you are spiritually blessed in your marriage, in your relationships, in your time with the Lord, in prayer and worship, etc. But when I'm obedient to the Lord, things go better. Here's the simplest thing I've ever discovered in Christianity. If I get up in the morning and I spend time in the Word, I spend time in prayer, and I take my kids and my wife and I make sure I spend time with them in the Word and prayer, guess what? My day just goes better. How's that for simple? My day goes better. Now, when I say my day goes better, does that mean little bluebirds come and land on my shoulders and things like that? No. I still get flat tires. I still get problems. But there's a spiritual blessing that happens that even through those difficulties in that day, wow, Lord, you're getting me through this. I remember there was a situation 
I went and I did a wedding for someone. And the wedding was not at church. The wedding was actually uh, quite a ways away. It was probably about 45 minutes away. And, you know, it was one of those weddings where it was, it was a little, a lot of stuff going on with it, I should say. Not bad, but just it was, it was a lot going on with the wedding. And, you know, it was one of those days where I said, okay, Lord, I know it's going to be a busy time here. So I want to make sure I'm spiritually ready for this. Prayed up in the word, etc. And, you know, took Dawn with me, took one of our kids with us. And it was a wonderful blessing of a wedding. It was a wonderful day, wonderful everything. Things just went perfect. Got done with the reception, go out to our car, and my car has a flat tire. And you have that brief moment of, Lord, why? But you know what? Since things were spiritually in order in my life, the flat tire doesn't bring you down. It doesn't. And here you are, 45 minutes from home. You change the flat tire, you go home, and you're still smiling the whole time saying, Wow, Lord, amen. You're God. You're in control. Now, another story about a flat tire. I was having a bad day. I was heading out to church here, and I had some stuff I had to get done, and it was one of those days I needed to get out here, and I'd gone out to my driveway, and guess what I had in my driveway? A flat tire. Guess how I responded? Not very Christian-like, I'm sorry to say. Because why? Spiritually, I was not in a good spot. Even though the flat tire was 10 feet from my house, really easy right there to change. I wasn't wearing a suit. Right there. Say if you're going to have a flat tire, your driveway is the best place in the world to have a flat tire. But for me, that just completely destroyed me. I was not spiritually in the right spot. Now, the other flat tire, 45 minutes away after a wedding with my baby and my wife in a suit. Ah, don't I still smile about that flat tire? It's your spiritual heart. And I'm sure you can give the same type of testimonies that are times that you were spiritually where you're supposed to be with the Lord and your spouse said something, your boss said something, and it's like, you know what, just let it go. It doesn't matter. And there's other times you were not spiritually right with the Lord and somebody said something and you unload on them. See, Baruch was obedient. Baruch was spiritually where he was supposed to be. He was obedient in Jeremiah 32. He was obedient in Jeremiah 36. And guess what? He was blessed. And once you know it, look at your sheet. What's Baruch's name mean? Blessed. He's blessed. Now, I don't think Baruch was blessed back in Jeremiah 32 and 36. If you remember back in Jeremiah 32 and 36, they wanted to kill him. He tried helping Jeremiah, and since he tried helping Jeremiah, the king actually sent people out to kill him, and Baruch had to be hid to be kept safe. He wasn't really blessed back then. But when you're obedient to the Lord, you will be blessed. And he's Baruch, the son of Neriah. You know what Neriah means? You can look at your sheet. Lamp of Jehovah. Guess what? 3,000 years later, guess who we're talking about? Baruch. He's blessed. He's a lamp for God. We're talking about his obedience right now. His witness still lives on because he was obedient. I don't know what you're facing right now, but I'm sure there is a temptation to not be obedient. There's a temptation to give in. There's a temptation to be spiritually lazy. It is never worth it. You want to be the Baruch. You want to be obedient in the difficult times. You want to be faithful in the difficult times. God sees it, God honors it, and God will bless you later on for your faithfulness in the middle of the storm. That's a proven fact. Baruch is an example of a blessing that comes later after he was obedient during the difficult times. What a blessing that is. Stay faithful, stay obedient, and the blessing comes. Go back to chapter 44. What did we learn from that? That temporary false blessing slash happiness is just that. It's temporary. Faithfulness and obedience to the Lord is what's going to carry you through the difficult times no matter what. 
faithfulness and obedience. Lord, we want to be faithful and obedient to you no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're doing. And God honors that. He truly does. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here? Yeah, Ryan. Right. Right. What happened is, if I remember correctly, it's in chapter 43. God basically tells Jeremiah, listen, if they're going down, you just go down with them type thing. You know, basically, you're going down as the prophet of God. He was kind of taken down there, if you will. So, yes, I agree exactly what you're saying. It almost sounds contradictory. But if I believe it's in chapter 43, if my mind reminds me of it, take a look at that. I believe that's what the Lord said. Basically, go down with them since they're going down. Anybody else got anything here before we close up? All right. Yeah, John. Yeah, that, that's a really great thing. It's really you can have one or the other. I mean, and that's the thing is, and, and my wife always gets upset at me when I say this jokingly, because we, I sometimes talk about the, the sin is fun. And, and before someone jumps on me, that's a biblical concept. Moses in Hebrew 11 talks about the passing pleasures of sin. Moses had to choose. Do I take the temporary pleasures of Egypt, basically being Pharaoh's son, or do I take obedience to the Lord? And like what you're saying there, John, is is abundantly true. I can take a temporary time in this earth, and I can have quote-unquote fun, followed up by months, if not years, of regret and conviction and guilt and disappointment. And how could I do that? Why did I do that? Or I could sacrifice myself to that fun. I can die to myself, as the Bible says, and then have a blessing for the rest of my life saying I was obedient to the Lord during that difficult time. I just heard someone say recently, a dead man feels no temptation. And the Bible says that I've died to sin. So since I've died to sin, I don't feel tempted by that. Or, Lord, help me not to feel tempted by that. And I can say no, as it says, and here's the verse, it's Hebrews 11.25, you can check it out. I can let go of that passing pleasure of sin and have a long-term blessing by being obedient. It's a great point. Anybody else have anything that we say before we close up? All right, let's pray for that. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just come to you and I pray that we would, that we would let go of that temporary passing pleasure of sin to have a long-term obedient blessing in you. Lord, help us to never just look at the situation and say, I'm happy. It's not about us being happy. It's about us being faithful. It's about us being obedient. Lord, help us to be like Baruch, to be blessed by serving you even through the difficult times, knowing that you will see us through it in all ways. Thank you, Lord, for your patience also. Thank you so much for your patience and your grace and your love and your mercy. In your name we pray. Amen. Feel free to go back and take a look at the Fellowship Hall and once again, Grad Sale Giveaway tomorrow, Friday and Saturday.